0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Lucky enough to spend with you Bezat Hashem the next 45 minutes to an hour. We're coming from an incredible saga. We're coming from one of the most dramatic parashiyot. And here was the moment of truth, and we watched it. We watched it unfold week after week. And finally, now here's the moment of truth the moment that Yehuda stands in front of Yosef. And at that moment, Yehuda feels that he put up such an amazing argument. He has Yosef. Little did he know he was Yosef, the viceroy of Egypt, the most powerful man in the world at that time. Yehudah has him right where he wants him. And he sees that this leader, this ruler is melting down and he's about to give in. And he knows he's going to get Benjamin back. And at that moment, Yehudah goes for that that final blow, that final point, he's about to win the argument, and suddenly, Yosef says two words, "Ani Yosef." That was it. That was the moment that history changed for Klal Yisrael, because with those two words, says the pasuk, "Velo yachlu echav la'anot oto." When they heard those words, they were speechless. They were embarrassed. They had nothing to say. Wow. Do you know that the rabbis say from this Pasuk look at it really well, study this chapter, because this is the amazing technique, this is exactly the way. Bore Olam rebukes every single person. ben Levi, O'ilanu miyom hadin, miyom This was the great rebuke, the rebuke of the greatest rebuke of history. As such, that even these giants, Yehuda, Uven, Shimon, Levi, the Shivteka, they heard those words on Yosef, and there was nothing they could say. This was the great rebuke. But ladies and gentlemen, let's, let's, let's analyze this for a moment. Where is the rebuke, really? You see, because rebuke generally is pointing out the error of what someone did wrong. Did he say any rebuke? He simply said, Ani Yosef. Hauda Where is the rebuke? He didn't say to them, Ani Yosef, how dare you sell me? He didn't say that. He didn't say, Ani Yosef, how is it that you almost killed me? You paskined on me to be a rodif? No, he didn't say that. He said, Ani Yosef, Haoda Vichai. But yet, Rabbi Koilin Ar- Bardela, Reb Yoshua Ben Levi, they see in this Pasuk the greatest rebuke of history. Where's the rebuke? Ladies and gentlemen, the answer is a crushing, powerful answer. the answer is the greatest rebuke is the truth itself, and sometimes the truth can be crushing. Let me explain to you what I mean. You see, there is an amazing midrash that many people over the years have missed, including myself until recently I'd like to I'd like to share this with you. The midrash writes that for twenty two years after the brothers sold Yosef, every year on Rosh Hashanah, they would go back to the spot that they sold Yosef. And on that very spot, they would convene the Bedin, they would put back the tribunal Bedin exactly the way it was at the moment years earlier when they sold Yosef, and they would actually relive the court case all over again. And they would sit on the same rocks and the same stones and take the same formation and they would actually relive the court case that they judged against Yosef. And sure enough, the Midrash writes that year after year for 22 years, they would relive the case. They would put out the same ta'anot. They would come down to the exact same judgment. Every year, they would come out and say, we were right, and he was wrong. He was a rodef. He was chayav mita. We have a right to kill him. We were merachem on him, so we sold him. But we missed nothing in this judgment. And year after year, they would check again and again and again for 22 years. And every year, they come out with the same bottom line. Until 22 years later, they come down to Mitzrayim. And at that moment, they find themselves standing in front of the viceroy of Egypt. Ladies and gentlemen, this is something beyond imagination. The Pasuk says they didn't recognize Yosef. Why not? Says Rashi, Because Yosef had a beard. Really? Do you know that Yosef looked exactly like his father Yaakov, says the Medrash. Yosef was supposed to be the fourth of the Avot. Could you imagine if Yosef, who looks exactly like Yaakov, puts on a beard? Wouldn't now he look exactly spitting image like their father Yaakov? How did they miss that? How did they come down to Mitzrayim looking at Yosef with a beard when nobody else in Egypt had beards? They're looking at the spitting image of their father, but yet They don't recognize Yosef. How is that? How is it that Yosef knew exactly what to do with each and every brother? And it didn't dawn on them that maybe this is him? It came to the moment that Yosef split up Shimon and Levi from all brothers. That didn't dawn on them that maybe this is him? He takes Shimon, the one that lowered him down into the pit from all brothers, and he incarcerates him and puts him in jail. It didn't dawn on them that maybe this is Yosef. The Midrash tells us that when he told Minasheh to go and grab Shimon and to throw him in jail, you know what the Midrash writes? Shimon was about to fight. Minashe put one hand on the shoulder of Shimon. And at that moment, Shimon went numb. He couldn't move. You know what Shimon did? He turns back to the brothers and he said, Zemi bet Abba. This isn't a regular person. This isn't a regular guy. This isn't a regular Egyptian. This one comes from our family. That's right. So if you know the son is from your family, did it ever dawn on you that his father is from your family too? He's Yosef? No. Nothing. What's going on? How is it that they didn't see this? But Wait. Let me just tell you one more. Some of you might know. There's a famous Gemara Nida that talks about Og, who came to Abraham Avinu to tell him this terrible news that his nephew Lot was captured by the kings and for Abraham to go and save him. By the way, do you know that this is the story where Og got his name from? His name really wasn't Og. Why was he called Og? Says Tosafot over there, Because at that time when he came to talk to Abraham Avinu, Abraham was in the middle of baking Ugot Matzot Kilo Hametz. That day was Erev Pesach. And because Abraham was in the process of baking Ugot, and that was the moment that Og showed up for the psurah to help Abraham Avinu, so on that one good act, he was given a name to remind of the act he did. Ugot your baking we will call him Og. Do you know why I'm telling you this? Because in those years, the way they baked bread was significant to the religion that they believed in. Depending on how many Avodah how many gods they believed in, was depending on how many corners they would make their bread. Very similar to Haman, Haman Harasha, who was known for his famous Hamintash, his hat of three corners, because he believed in a trilogy. So because of three gods, he believed in three corners so their breads would be made with three corners. Depending on how many gods they believed was depending on how many corners they would make in their bread. How many corners did Abraham make? None. It was a circle showing monotheism, that there's only one, there's only one Bore Olam. Says the Midrash, Yosef turns to the Egyptians and asks them to leave the room. He sits down with his brothers and has with them a seudah, He sits them in age order. That doesn't give it away? Well, after that, he turns to his brothers and says, let's break bread. Do you know what type of bread he brings out so that the Egyptians should not see? He takes out, says the Midrash, round matzot. Hello? Wake up and smell the coffee. He's eating matzot. His bread screams out, one bore olam. Doesn't it dawn on you guys, Shifteka, that this might be Yosef with a beard, spinning image of Yaakov Avinu and his son, Ze Mibet Abba? Why didn't they see it? And the answer is a powerful answer. And the answer is because suddenly, suddenly the moment of truth came, and he said two words. Ani Yosef, if I wanted to kill you, you judged me as a Rodef for 22 years. You really believed you were right. You really thought you had the truth on your side. Ani Yosef, I'm the most powerful man in Egypt. I could have killed you easily. No. No. Take a look. For 22 years, you were living a lie. That is the greatest rebuke possible. Because when people believe in the lies that they feed themselves, the truth could be hanging at the edge of their own nose, and they won't see it, even if it smacks them right in the face. That was the unbelievable rebuke. Oy lanu miyom hadin. Oy lanu Sometimes in life we have to stop. And we have to think. Am I living truth? Or am I living a big lie? Rabotei. ay, this isn't an easy topic. But for an American Jew, today, What is society? That's so easily able to be swept away in and with the winds of Galut blowing us back and forth. And sometimes we give our lives away for certain dreams that we think are American dreams. And we kill ourselves to make some more money for a little bit more kavod. And sometimes we give our lives away for things that are quick fixes, that they come and they go. And then we look back and we ask ourselves, I gave up so much. And yet, it was nothing all along. I'd like to give you an illustration, a story, to explain to you what the feeling of what we're really talking about. Years ago in 2008, there was a multi million dollar accounting firm. It was known from one of the big eights. I know this because my father, He showed us, well, the world of accounting, and told us always, whatever you do, don't be an accountant. One of the big eights, Leventhal and Harworth, in 2008, this multimillion dollar accounting firm in New York City, one evening, the partners got together and they actually, and through conversation, agreed that the industry wasn't going well. It might be time to close up the company for good. Leventhal and Harworth, they were around for almost 40 years. They had hundreds and hundreds of employees, but yet the partners felt that the company just wasn't performing what it was of years earlier, and it's time to close its doors. It's time to close that company. So they decided that evening that through email, they're going to send out memos to the hundreds of employees announcing that the company is closing. And here is what the memo said We hope that this doesn't cause you any inconvenience. Through much deb- deliberation, we, the partners of Leventhal and Harworth, have come to a solid decision that the company is closing its doors. We hope and we wish you best tidings for the future, and to find work elsewhere. Signed, the partners. P.S. Please come to work early in the morning. You'll be handed a cardboard box to take your personals. We wish you the best. Could you imagine when that memo went out to the hundreds and hundreds of workers of this great corporation, Leventhal and Harworth? Could you imagine the pandemonium that went down that night? Could you imagine the hysteria of people who literally one night when they thought that they were part of a rock of a company, they thought they had the stability of stability of life. All those years in school, all those professional seminars and training to finally make their up the American corporate ladder. And finally, this is the place they always wanted to be. And they get a memo that the company is closing over one simple night. The next morning, hundreds of the employees of Leventhal and Harworth comes into the building. And sure enough, they couldn't believe it, but it was true. As they walked into the building, two armed guards were hired by Leventhal and Harworth, standing by the front door, handing each person who walked in a cardboard box, instructing them, To go upstairs, take out their personals, and make sure not to take anything that belongs to the company. And as they exit the building, they were told, on their way down, these armed guards are going to go through their boxes just to make sure they don't take anything that belongs to the company. And the people, they just didn't know what to say. Hundreds of people file upstairs. And sure enough, they come down with their personals in silence. Years they gave to this company, but, well, this is it. As they're walking out the building, there's a long line of the employees waiting for their turn, for their box to be checked to leave the building. And this long line seems to just get longer and longer. And just then, the elevator doors open, and out walks a senior employee with his white hair greased back, wearing a good suit also holding a cardboard box with his personals inside. He sees the long line of people, and these people work for him. He says, I'm not getting on that line with these people. He walks straight to the front door and bypasses everybody on the line. And as he comes to the front door, the armed guard that was hired by the company grabs the senior senior officer's arm, and he says to him, wait, wait, wait. Where are you going? Get online. We got to check your stuff. The senior manager looks at him and says, "Excuse me." The guard says, "Yeah, that's right. Listen, we got to go through your box. We got to make sure that you didn't take anything that is that belongs to the company." The senior manager looks at the guard and says, "Belongs to the company?" "Belongs to the company?" He rips open his shirt, and he starts pounding on his chest, and he screams, this belongs to the company. I gave you guys 40 years of my life. I gave you my weekends when I could have spent it with my kids. I gave you my holidays when I could have went away with my wife. I gave you everything. I gave you my life, and you send me one night a Memo? Saying that the company is closing? And now? Not even the decency to let me walk out? You're going to check my box? Because maybe I took a few extra pencils. You want to know what belongs to the company? This belongs to the company. I gave you 40 years. I gave you my life. And now? Now I have nothing. Oh, ilanu. Oh, Ilano. we get so caught up with the dreams and they look so good and they look so professional and they look like, wow, and we give our lives to things and we do it on all accounts, on the account of our kids where they don't grow up with fathers and our wives that don't grow up with husbands because it's all about the bigger picture. It's all about the dream that I'm going to get and I kill myself for it. And then suddenly pop. And all the hot air gets let out of the balloon. And I look back and I say. Uli. I lived a lie. My whole life. I have nothing. Ani Yosef. haodavichai. Yehuda says Yosef. You worried. You worried about the fact that if Benjamin doesn't come home. Your father might die upon hearing that one of his sons fell into a tragedy in Egypt. What about me? Ani Yosef? Ha'od avi chai? Did you think about the life of our father when you sold me? Suddenly, what they thought they were right, for 22 years, they realized they were living a lie. O'ilanu, that's the rebuke of all rebuke, to find out what you thought was true, wasn't. And now you have to look back and face yourself. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, I tell you the truth. Over the years, we watch how many people have given to so many different causes and they've literally given their life and their blood away for so many things. And so many of these things. How little they are. How they come and they go. Like quick fixes. I know, I, I look at the boys in my class. 11th and 12th grade. And I see in their eyes the dreams. And I know what they're dreaming about. I know chas shalom a million times. I, I don't want to say this, but. A boy, 16 or 17, he's ready to trade in a piece of his olam haba for a license and a car. Because at that point in life, that's his dream. And then when he finally gets the license, Oh, Rabbi, when I get get that car, Oh, then I'm going to be happy. Oh, I could see myself already driving down Ocean Parkway. With the hood down and the music playing, oh, that's going to be Haim. And then finally, finally, he fights and he negotiates and he puts his money from years of all the summers he ever worked and he, he, he pulls together a few dollars and he convinces his father and he gets him a Honda. And now you have the car. And a month or two later, no, now what? Ah, uh, Rabbi, listen, I have a Honda. Don't worry. You'll see when I get the infinity. Oh, that's when life is going to be. Because then everyone's going to look at me and they're going to realize that I'm a success. Really? That's what made you the su- This is what you believe in. This is what you're ready to live for. Another car. Yes, Rabbi. Is that Hashem? This is it. So they get the better car. And then a month or two later, again, the new car smell wears off. And we're back to the old deal that it's still the same four wheels that gets you from point A to point B and the glitz and the glamour wears off. And now what? Oh, Rabbi, if I'm going to get myself something, wait, when I get a Lexus, then I'm going to become a Lexus of a human being. People are going to look at me as a success in, the, in, 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 our, in our communities. Really? That's this label of a success story today. By the car you drive. Yes, Rabbi, what are you talking about? Ah, come on, you rabbis, you don't know. I'm telling you, Rabbi. Okay. And then the Lexus comes along with a mortgage to pay. And then a month or two later again. And then from there it goes, from the Lexus to the Beamer, and from the Beamer to the Mercedes, and from the Mercedes to SLS. And, and it just goes on and on. And what are you chasing? What are you chasing? Don't you realize that you're buying into something that really is nothing? When do we wake up and ask ourselves, are we living a life of truth? Or are we living a life that's not true at all? People, when we tell over, you know, there was a couple that got married had a baby and this baby, an infant, only three months old. The couple wanted to get a break. They wanted to go on a, a vacation for a few days. So they turned to the guy's younger brother. Can you babysit this infant, the baby? He says, sure. I'm a great babysitter. He has no clue what an infant is. He doesn't know what it takes to take care of a three month baby. Here's babysitting. Yeah, I'm good with kids in camp. They loved me. Okay. They give him the baby. The mother starts telling him, listen, you got to do this with the baby and that with the baby. And this is the way you birth the baby. And these are the feeding hours, And this is the formula and use this and mix that and this time schedule and make sure it's and the guy, yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't listen to a word. I'm babysitting. What's the big deal? You take the kid, you put him in front of Barney. That's it. You know. What? The parents leave. And sure enough, the moment the parents leave, the baby begins to cry. He says to himself, oh, boy, the baby's crying. Okay, he starts rocking the baby back and forth, back and forth. Doesn't help. He says to himself, oh, boy, it's not crying. It's not stopping to cry. Still crying. So he decides, you know what? Every kid loves candy. He goes out to the candy store, and he takes the baby into the candy store, and he says, take a look. Huh? Look at the sour sticks. Look at the gummy gums. Take a look at, wow, the colorful, look at this candy store. He starts taking a little of this and a little of that and putting the jelly beans in the baby's mouth. It's an infant. And the kid is screaming and spitting out the jelly beans. He says to himself, what's up with this kid? I'm giving him candy. Ah, must be a colicky baby. Must be a problem with the baby. Ah, it doesn't work. All right. I'll figure something else out. He takes the baby. He leaves the candy store. He says to himself, probably he's hungry. He wants to eat something good. So he takes him to a shawarma store. And he offers a laffa with the shawarma. And he tells him, keep off the Israeli salad. I want more meat. And give it to me with hummus and chips. And he turns to the baby. Ah! Now there's a sandwich. Oh, you want to eat? I understand Yeah, I also want to eat. So let's eat together. He starts taking the shawarma, putting it to the baby's mouth, screaming spitting out he says what's up with this kid this is this is not a normal kid doesn't like candy doesn't like shawarma What, what what's what am i gonna do with this kid and the baby doesn't stop crying and it's it's starting to really annoy him he says to himself what am i gonna do so he goes out and he says to himself you know what if i get a car i'll drive the baby around that will take care of the problem He goes out and he gets a car. He drives the baby up and down, back and forth. Maybe for a second or two, the baby. But then right back to the old crying. And there's nothing that this guy doesn't try to do. This goes on for a week. The baby's eyes is bloodshot. Finally, the parents come home. The mother comes running in to see her baby. She sees the kid is white. His eyes are bright purple. What did you do to my baby? says, what did I do to your baby? This kid has a problem. There was nothing I gave it. Nothing I can do to stop it crying. The mother says, you fool. You're giving it candy? You're giving it shawamas? Cars? Girlfriends? What were you doing? You think that's what the baby eats? You have to give the baby what it eats. Not what you think you want it to eat. Ay yeah 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 yeah. We come into this world, and Bore olam, he hands us the purest of pure infants in anishama inside the soul of every Jew. And he says, "Please take care of this baby for me. Carry it with you. Babysit it with you. Take care of it. This is my baby. Please bring it back to me after 120 years. Please do a good job." I said Bore olam better. The Malach stands there. But wait, listen, Habibi, you got to understand how to take care of Neshama. Let me just explain it to you. You got to do this and you got to feed it like this. There has to be a little Shnai Mikrev Had Targum and there's Teilim, and there's three times Tefillah and there's Tefillin and there's Mitzvot. And let's for not forget Torah. And then there is Ayun and there is Bekiut and there is Dafyomi. yay Yeah, yeah, yep, said that. I know it. You're telling me, you're telling me how to take care of a soul. Come on, come on. I'm born with it a part of me and sure enough okay we come into the world and suddenly we start hearing a crying inside we want to know how, where's that crying coming from what's going on why how come i don't feel good about myself how come i feel an emptiness inside how come i feel a certain black hole inside of me and somehow or other no matter what i do no matter what i try i can't fill that hole I try this, and then it wears off, and then I hear the crying again, and then I try that, and again, what am I going to do with this crying baby? So this guy goes out, he gets a little candy here and a little candy there of life, and it doesn't do it. You can't feed a spiritual nishama physicality, but that's the baby who's crying. The candies don't work. Oh, don't worry. I know what to do. I got to get it a good meal. He goes out and he starts getting the shawamas, the things that look wow. And he jumps into it. Here, I'm going to feed the baby. It's going to feel great. And sure enough, he realizes that the baby doesn't take that either. Oh, but wait, I know what to do. I'll get the baby a car. Wait till I get a car. Then I'll be happy. What's the car going to do for you in the It's crying. Feed me, please. I'm a spiritual neshama. What are these things gonna do for me? And then he gets another car. And then no, this ta'avah, No, that's gonna do it for me. Oh no, 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 no. When when I get the, when I when when I get the when I get the 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 business that I wanted. When I get the job upgrade. When I get when I build. When I get this house. When I get that. And meanwhile, the neshama is crying, and the guy doesn't understand after everything I've gotten this baby, I'm living for years and years, and I'm not happy. I still feel empty. Millions of dollars in the bank account, houses in three different locations, corporations with employees and kavod, and I still don't feel happy. Why am I depressed, Rabbi? Why are they throwing at me all different types of Things to medically get me into a good mood of mind. I should be the happiest guy in the world. What's going to make this crying stop? And then we look at the Hollywood celebrities that people would give their right arm to be. And we find out that behind the camera in real life, they can't stay married for more than two weeks. They spend their lives in their limousines going from rehab to rehab. How come they're not happy? Don't they have everything? Fame, fortune, and especially a Jew. We have a neshama that cries and that neshama wants to be fed and the only thing it enjoys is a good piece of a homash, a good tefillah. Jump into a mitzvah mikol Pray an amida, but cry it out. Sit with a Shabbat table with your kids and enjoy an oneg Shabbat. Enjoy a piece of a Gemara, a sium of a Mesechet. That's fulfillment, because that the baby can eat. Suddenly, the hole, that gaping black hole inside of us that feels so empty, the minute we bring a little, a little mitzvah, a little Torah, a dafyomi, a minyan, a tefillah with heart. Suddenly we walk out feeling great. We hear a good cheer. Ah! We feel great. Suddenly that hole fills. And it's not a quick fix. It fills and it stays. That's what our nishamot need. But we've bought into so many different ridiculous lies. Thinking that that's going to deliver the happiness. Where one day we got to wake up. Ani Yosef. Hashem has his ways to send people in life these wake-up calls of truth to stop them in their tracks like a deer in headlights and to say, wow, how was I missing this all these years? I was living a lie. Thank God, Baruch Hashem, I finally found the truth. Years back, I had a Talmud of mine, a student, it was about six years ago. This boy was very special, like all, but he was very intellectual, very intelligent. He loved to debate the rabbis on every point, but in a good way, because he really was seeking out truth. I had a special, a special love for this boy. I saw that he had the Kelim to one day be a great Talmud Chacham. I wish that I could tell you one of the success stories of maybe the hundreds of boys that over the year we was over the years we was to send to higher education of Yeshiva, whether it had been in Eretz Israel, or maybe Rabbi Diamond's kollel or Lakewood Yeshiva. I'm afraid that this story doesn't have that happy ending, but it's an important story because this kid was a great kid, an intellectual, brilliant boy. And I knew deep down that he was gunning to have a wonderful life career. And you want to hear something? I was supporting him all the way because I saw that he really had a knack and he was really made for it. But as my, as, a, as the job of a Rebbe, hey, I'm with you. But I want to make sure when you go out, you're going to go out a Ben Torah. You're going to be a Ben Torah in the career place, a Ben Torah in the office. You're going to have learning in the morning. You're going to have learning at night. You're going to be connected to a Rebbe. You're going to be connected to real Kiviut Kovei Aitim. But I begged him, before you go out to the world, and I know a boy in high school, he looks out at the world as, wow, when I get out there, I'm going to be the next Donald Trump. I'm going to be the next this guy and the next that guy. And they think it's so rosy out there. They have no idea the real deal out there. So I begged them, please, you're going to be working your whole life. You're going to be going to college for your plentiful years. I support you, and I think you'll do well. But before you run out, could you please just go to Israel for one year to learn Torah? You see, when you get away from all the halabalu when you get away from all the American distractions, and you sit in the Eretz HaKodesh, and you sit and just learn your manvalailah, with the Kidusha in the air it makes you a giant in very short time and it gives you a taste and a foundation for learning that is very exclusive and special to the learning of eretz yisrael when you come back even just a few months even one year but you've tasted the real thing now you can come back and start a life but now it's based on a life of a foundation of a Torah. Now go out to college. Now go to work. Now go do what you need to do. But now you're a ben Torah, so you'll stay connected to what's going to keep you refined. Keeps you good. And when you fall down, it pulls you back. And with it comes a rebbe that can keep his finger on the pulse of your life. So chas Shalom, you run into nisyonot. There's someone there to pick you up, carry you, help you. The boy was very moved. And he said, Rabbi, I'm really going to consider it. And what's amazing is his parents were for it. But for some reason, a week later, he calls me back and says, Rabbi, I just enrolled into college. I want your blessing. I said, well, what happened? I thought you told me that you were going to give a shot. He says, I told you, I'll think about it. But now I decide it. Uh, to me I think it's a waste of a year I'm not going I said but what's the rush you're going to be working your whole life this is one time one shot one opportunity you can never get this back again I'm sorry Rebbe. this is my decision okay ladies and gentlemen I want to tell you something that moment is a very difficult task for a Rebbe to be able to stand back up after the Talmud did not go your way and to humble yourself out of an unconditional love for a Talmud and to still step up and say, hey, I'm not going to lose you. I'm supporting you nonetheless. You're going? Good. Where's your seder in the morning? Where's the seder at night? Who's your chavrutot? One of the hours you're coming in. Oh, no, no, of course, Rabbi, I'm going to come into the shul. Don't worry. I'm going to be there for the learning in the morning. I'm going to pray with you in the morning. At night, I'm going to come to your night, seder I love your night. Say, okay, great. I mean, that wasn't my plan, A, but it's the default plan. At least let him give that shot. He goes out. And you know how it is. The minute they get out there. Sure enough, the winds of America begin to blow and... It lasted for a few months and I haven't seen him for months and months and months turned into years. Let me tell you the end of this story. It's only about three months ago. It's about five or so years later. He calls me up out of the blue. Rabbi, hey, where'd you go? You fell off the face of the earth. What happened? My favorite college boy. What what happened to you? He said, Rabbi, listen, you know, I really had to put myself into it, and I I just lived it day and night, and I just want to tell you the great news. I graduated, I got my diploma, and I also passed the CPA on the first time. I am now a certified public accountant. I said, Lee, I should tell you about accountants, but okay, well, my father was an accountant his whole life, (laughs) but... Hey, Kalakavod, beautiful. Mabruk, Mazaltov, wonderful. So uh maybe you want to come back to learning now. Now that you know how to count, we can count Dapim together. What do you say? Oh uh, Rabbi, that's cute. Yeah, yeah, I'm planning to come back to learning, but I'm calling for a different reason. I'm calling for a biraha. Wow. Haven't seen the guy in five years. And he's calling for a biraha. Okay, listen. Unconditional love. Rebbe's, listen to me. Unconditional love. This is a different door than the one we grew up in. Unconditional love. Because we know what the uh, other side of the coin is. Shemirachem. Okay, so what am I giving the Berachah for? Rabbi, listen. I didn't graduate Victorian, When I was the one next down, you know, the salutary Victorian, whatever they call it. I graduated with honors. And because of that, I landed an interview. Okay, you ready for this? With one of the best, and I was about to jump in and say one of the best accounting firms. He said, no, 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 better than that. Better than that. He says, yeah. I landed an interview. Because I graduated with honors, I landed an interview with the IRS. I said, Shema Israel, <laughs> the, the The IRS. <laughs> What? Whose team are you on? He said, why, Rabbi? They pay better than counting affirms I said, seriously? He says, yeah. It's only because I graduated the second of my class. I got an interview with the IRS. You don't know what that means. They only take the top two. I said, okay, I I don't know what to say, uh, my brook, I guess. And I thought to myself for a minute, you know what? Maybe it's a good idea might be, who knows, the Yeshua one day for somebody down the line that from a fruma guy comes in from the IRS. Who knows? Me, Anyways, the bottom line is, I said, hey, unconditional love, that's the biracha you want. Hashem should help you to find chen be'enei Elohim ve'adam. You should find chen in the eyes of the interviewer. And if this job was meant for you from shamayim, it should go quickly. And if it was not meant for you, it should leave quickly. That's the B'rachah, my friend. I like it, Rabbi. Thank you. Uh, Will I see you tomorrow morning by davening? Bezat Hashem, at the end of this week, you're going to see me by night, Seder. I said, okay, at least that. Okay, good. Ladies and gentlemen, the next night, I got the call back. Rabbi! I said, oh, what's going on? How did the job interview go with, uh, I didn't want to say the name, because if he got the job, that means he's working for the IRS. <laughs> who knows who's listening on the phone? I said, hey, so how did the job go with uh, you know who? He says, Rabbi, I'll tell you the truth. The interview went well. I said, uh-oh, sounds like you didn't get the job. He says, no, 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 no. They loved me. I got the job on the spot. I said, okay, so what's the problem? He says, well, I'll tell you the truth. After they told me they're giving me the job and after they told me that I graduated the top two and that's the only reason why I'm getting the job by them, they told me that they're going to start me on a starting salary that's going to be high. And I said, wonderful. How much is that? We're going to start you, young man. At forty one thousand dollars. I said to the interviewer, he tells me how much. He said, $41,000. That's the starting salary for an accountant. Really? $41,000? You're starting me high? He said, yeah. He said, $41,000? Is that on the books or off the books? The IRS guy smiled and he said, get out of here. He says, Rabbi, $41,000. My mother pays the chadameh more than $41,000 a year. I spent five years, sixty thousand dollars of tuition year after year after year to come to to come to what? I, what did I give up? Why didn't I go to Israel, Rabbi? Why didn't I go learn at it? Eretz Kodish with my friends? Why did I pass on everything? I lived and gave my life for this. And I'm starting at $41,000. Ay, ay, ay. Hashem should open our eyes and we should be able to realize that we were meant to be the great people, people of greatness. We were given such gifts with the golden, pure Nishama that cries to us and begs us, feed me with the stuff that you know will make you great. People think that the opposite of pain is pleasure. It's a terrible mistake. The opposite of pain is no pain, comfort. Pleasure? Pleasure you have to work for. You have to roll up your sleeves and set a goal and go out there and do something that's fulfilling. Because when you achieve that goal, you get this feeling of fulfillment, and that is happiness. Choose wisely. Put your life into something that you could look back and say, ah, look what I lived for. Look what I got out of life. Like the guy that the Chafetz Chaim told him, Chafetz Chaim said, day after day people come here and they ask me for Birachot for parnasa, and they always cry and say, Rabbi, I have nothing to live on, says the Chafetz Chaim, I'm waiting for the day when someone walks in here and says, Rabbi, what do I have to die on? What do I have to show for my life? I've been feeding this baby, my neshama, every Stuyot in the world, and it doesn't stop crying. Maybe, maybe I wasn't living the truth. Oh, Ilanu, let's wake up. Let's realize that the only happiness is a life of Torah, a life of mitzvot, fulfillment, a closeness to Bore Olam, to live with Hashem in our homes, in our lives every day. That's the moment that we find truth. We're the people, the keepers of the truth. Let's wake up and ask ourselves, am I living a lie or am I living truth? We should be Zohe to see the truth in everything we do in life. Borei Olam should give us the clarity and the emet on every single step. This is Rabbi Duby Ben-Shishan from Congregation Magan Abraham wishing you a Shabbat shalom. And we should be zokhe be'ezat Hashem b'karov to great Yeshuot and to Mashiach Tzidkenu. Amen.